Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, December 2nd, 2022. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. As you are listening to this, no matter what feed you are listening to it in, the latest special episode in my seemingly never-ending cycle of special episodes is available in both podcast feeds. It went out early afternoon on Thursday in Patreon, and by now it is out in the regular feed. I spoke with the great Melanie Labore of And Juliet. And the original Mrs. Phelps in Matilda the Musical. We had a great conversation. As energetic and fun and vivacious as she is on stage, she is just as much in this interview. We had a great time talking about the show, uh, why she loves it so much, why she's stuck with it now for nearly five years, and what it's like to hear a song from the show in literally every single public space that she goes into because you cannot escape the music of Max Martin. Um, So that's fun. So listen to that. Of course, if you want to hear episodes before you can get them anywhere else, head over to patreon.com slash broaderradio, broaderradio.com slash Patreon. Ashley, you know that on Uh Thursday, thanks to a little bit of help from you, actually, uh, I was able to complete my upcoming trip schedule. Finally, you pointed me in the right direction. I'd been barking up some wrong trees and you helped me out and I got that stuff figured out right away. Vibes into the atmosphere is really well. And you also, well, and you pointed me in the right direction of the right press person. I was talking to the wrong press person. But Um, mostly the vibes. The vibes are most important. But yeah. So here is my here is my schedule, as they say. I will start, um, assuming there's no flight issues, on Sunday afternoon seeing A Man of No Importance. Then on Sunday night, I'm seeing Merrily We Roll Along, just all the off-Broadway bangers to start it. Then on Monday, I'm going to Joe's Pub with you to see Love the Struggle. Then mm-hmm. on Tuesday night... I'll be seeing uh, Between Riverside and Crazy. I'm following that up with the Wednesday matinee, again, with you, uh, to see Ohio State Murders. Mm -hmm. Then that night, this one's still up in the air, because technically you haven't gotten the confirmation yet, but we will be seeing Ain't No Mo. Then I will be going... um, Recording a podcast somewhere in between there. Yeah, probably, I'm guessing the Broadway Records uh, office. That's going to be my guess. Um, I didn't mention I'm going to see Men of No Importance with Grace. And then on... Thursday, I'm going to see Death of a Salesman with Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, speaking of Broadway records, on Friday, I'm going to be seeing uh, A Christmas Carol with Robbie Frizzell. Then, I'm going to head up to Lincoln Center on uh, Saturday matinee to see Becky Nurse of Salem. Then, on Saturday night, I'm going to be seeing Some Like It Hot. I'll be heading back to Lincoln Center for a Sunday matinee, matinee to see The Old Man and the Pool. Then, Sunday night, I will be seeing The Collaboration. And then, Monday, I believe I'm going to be having dinner with James Marino and his his wife, as well as our friend from across the pond, John Schwab, uh-huh. uh, who will be in town. And then apparently it's going to be a theater Twitter meet and greet social after chess because we all figured out that we are all seeing chess. It's like I all see. of my, my friends, <laughs> um, my friend uh, Ashley Hufford, Rebecca Michelson, uh-huh. Ryan, um, Jeremy, um, Katie, everybody. We're all going to meet up afterwards since we are all going to be there. Solid. So that is my trip. So it's pretty good. All right. It's a good trip. I'm, it turned out much better than I thought it was. I was there were some things that I was like, yeah, man, there's not a lot of stuff in here that I'm really excited about, but it ended up being a, I think a pretty solid trip. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of plays, as my sh- trips have tended to be more recently. Yeah. yeah, like there's just not a bunch of uh, banging musicals that I feel like I have to see. I mean, there are some. True. Made of no importance. Yeah. Merrily, um, sound like it hot. And they're um, in there. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. There was a ton of news that came out on Thursday. So we're going to run through it fairly quickly because there's not a a ton of details to talk about a lot of these things. But we did get confirmation of something that we've known 
has been in the works since it was on TV. Like since they did the Wiz Live back in, I don't know, like 1974, whatever it was yeah. uh, on NBC, the Wiz is coming back to Broadway. It will kick off a national tour uh, starting in the fall of 2023 at the Hippodrome Theater in Baltimore, which is also where the world premiere of the musical actually happened back in 1974. It will play limited national tour before coming to Broadway for a limited engagement in the spring of 2024. Um, this is what's very cool about this is this is an entirely reimagined production and it is, yeah. it will mark the directorial debut of Shelley Williams, who we've talked about her directing yes. a ton of things all over the country, all over the world, in fact, yeah, including very busy. the Aida revival um, that's happening over somewhere in, in Europe. But this will be her Broadway directorial debut. She, of course, Finally. is a performer who has been. Uh, on Broadway before. Mm -hmm. uh, Jacqueline Knight will also be making his Broadway debut as the choreographer. And the book will will be the book that was, you know, originally on Broadway by William F. Brown with a Tony winning score by Charles Smalls. But Amber Ruffin, who is also having a bit of a moment with Some Like yeah. It Hot, will provide additional material for the show. So uh, this is very, Exciting. very fun. I'm I'm very excited very. Love it. to see what happens like Speaking with of this. Banging musicals, nobody beats mm -hmm. the whiz. Well, Okay. Uh, anyway, wow. moving on. Well, it's fine. Um, moving <laughs> on. This one's interesting to me. I feel like we're going to have another wild party situation here because mm. yesterday the creative team for the Broadway bound Great Gatsby musical announced its career was announced so that we have the creative team for the show. You might be saying to me, Matt, haven't we already talked about the creative team for a Broadway bound Great Gatsby musical? Matt, yes. haven't we already talked about whatever the <laughs> you yes. just said exactly? Yeah, we have. We have. Yeah. In fact, we already talked, we've talked about, about it quite a bit, but, um, all the way back in 2021, we discussed the fact that Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine was writing a great Gatsby yeah. musical along with Grammy nominee Thomas Bartlett. They are writing the, the, the score together and Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, Martina Mayoke is writing the book and Olivier nominee Rebecca Frecknell, uh, is set to direct. That is still working on coming to New York. I'm not sure if it's going to be a Broadway thing. The more I've heard about it, it's kind of turned into like an immersive concert thing over in uh, over in Europe. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But so that might end up being at like a St. Anne's or a BAM or Park Ave uh, kind of situation. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. we did get the creative team for another great Gatsby musical. This one will feature um, uh, lyrics by uh, Paradise Square Tony nominee Nathan Tyson and um, Jason ha uh, Howland, who wrote the um, – that was a, gr a Grammy Award winner for Beautiful the Carol King musical. The book will be by Kate Kerrigan, who normally works with Brie Loudermilk – of Kerrigan mm -hmm. and Laudermilk. Um, Kate, uh, Kate will be working on her own here. It will be directed by the beautiful director. Not, I mean, I'm sure he is beautiful. I don't know what he looks like personally, but like the yeah. director of beautiful, <laughs> Both. Mark Bruni. All things can be true. All things uh, simultaneously are true. There will be a private industry reading that will take place this month in December and a regional bow is being planned for the 2023-2024 season. So, I don't personally like having been a high school English teacher that taught American lit primarily. Yeah, I I don't I don't need more Great Gatsby. Absolutely not. I've had I'm my fill. So tired. I've had my fill. I've said before the only thing I want is I want to see Elevator Repair Services Gats, which was oh, yeah. where they like they read the Great Gatsby on stage and as it 
went on it went from them just reading it into a more sure. fully formed show like that weird stuff is what i'm into i don't need dueling yeah, Gatsby musicals but i know people love it yeah and yeah. i and i don't get it and i'm not one of the people who love it and i'm tired of it but i do love florence so that's something but yeah no more gatsby <laughs> we had yeah, the- leave me out of it we've progressed past the need for great gatsby the two um i guess 20th century novels that I had to teach in uh, American lit classes were uh-huh. this and Catcher in the Rye. Of course. Neither Both, of which. Neither, neither of which I need. Good, no. one, wor- I- one worse than the other. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's easier fighter, I guess, but there are certainly things in both that I think are great. And I think that sure, an honest look at um, Catcher in the Rye, I think, is actually a better book than it is trying to read it with lots of high school juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more that you can do with that um, with an adult mind than I think uh, it really resonates with high schoolers who don't actually want to read it. But that is neither here nor there. True. Moving on, another show that we now actually know for sure is coming to Broadway, whether they have made the announcement yet or not, is Once Upon a One More Time. We have heard rumors, and we have talked about it here on this show, kind of alluded to it in the past. The reason that Beetlejuice is closing at the at the Marriott Marquis Theater is because that's where Britney Spears and all of these super uh, these uh, superhero characters, yeah, fairy tale characters. It. I mean, really, they are Britney Spears it's is a superhero in her own right. Obviously, um, that show is coming to the Marriott Marquis. How do we know? Because there is already a page for it on Ticketmaster.com. They might not have announced anything yet, but we do know that tickets will go on sale on Monday, December 5th, because Ticketmaster says they will. Performances will begin, <laughs> it appears, um, on May 13th, which that means, Ashley, it will not be part of the 2022-2023 Broadway season. This is the third show that I have heard of that is coming uh, but but is choosing to come in the summer. We already know about Back to the Future. If this does happen, of course, anything yeah. can happen. Although if they're saying tickets are on sale on Monday, chances are we will probably get an announcement today because they're not going to announce it over the weekend. They could announce it on Monday, I suppose. Monday, probably. Uh, they might say, hey, these are already uh, available. But um, there's those. There's another show that has long been planning a Broadway uh, run after having a critically adored off-Broadway run that I have heard is coming. And last I heard, it was not 100% sure if it was going to come in the spring or the summer, but it was leaning towards summer because the lead has a gig in the summer that has already had to be rescheduled um, once. It was part of a season, had to be moved, but it's still happening for a week in New York City. See if you can put the details together there mm. and figure that one out. But a lot of shows, I think it's interesting that more shows than normal are planning to come in in the summer. We don't usually see that. The only other two that I can really think of that have worked here recently were obviously Hamilton and Moulin Rouge. They both were big enough shows to be like, eh, we don't need to open up in the spring or in the fall. We're going to do the summer and they were fine. But otherwise, it's a, it's a little bit of a risky gamble. So we'll see what happens. But speaking of Moulin Rouge, yesterday we heard that the Tony-winning, unopposed, star of of Moulin Rouge, Aaron Tveit, will be returning to the show for a limited 12-week engagement beginning on Tuesday, January 17th. Um, Tony Award nominee Derek Klenna will take over the role again in, on April 11th, which generally leads me to think that Derek book something, and so he has to go film uh, something. I did just watch him in the Hallmark movie, A Holiday Spectacular, opposite ah, Jenna Claire Mason, yeah, wh- um, which was great. I literally watched that on Wednesday night, the night before we were recording this. 
So maybe he's going to shoot another Hallmark movie. I, I don't know. Very possible. But, Off yes, to but, whatever small town needs him at this time. Yes. Wearing some flannel and helping to save a general store. Although Same. 12, 12 weeks is way too long for a Hallmark shoot. You need like four weeks and you're like good. four and a half hours and yeah. How dare uh, you? a catering break. Yeah. yeah. Now, Get craft that services are good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Ashley, uh, Loran will continue in the role of Satine, but there will also be a few other changes to the cast. David Harris and Andre Ward, who are currently playing the roles of the Duke of Monroth and Toulouse-Lautrec in the national tour, will take over those roles on Broadway beginning on February 7th as well. The rest of the current company, headlined by Eric Anderson as Harold Zidler and Jessica Lee Golden as Nini, will continue with the show moving forward. All right, moving from our announcements to some pretty interesting things happening across the social media world, members of the cast of K-pop have been speaking out recently on oh, multiple yeah. social media platforms about remarks made by New York Times critic Jesse Green in his review of the show. As this is something that um, I didn't even see. I, to be honest with you, I didn't read the whole review when we did the review roundup because it I was reading the roundups and I just saw like the biggest quotes out of them. Um, but in his review, Green said that the talking about the lighting design, that it was squint inducing, which many members of the show <laughs> creative team and cast took as either in overt or subvert a subvertive um, racist comment that is normally attributed to the eyes uh, of Asian people. Um, <clears throat> a cast member John Yi wrote in an Instagram post, Green is entitled to his critical opinion, but he is not entitled to rely on racism, overt or subvert in doing so. It is even more insidious form of violence when you fail to say the quiet thing out loud, but let it linger beneath the surface by resting on tropes such as squint inducing. He goes on to say, I am shocked that not a single New York Times editor caught this racist trope. Mm -hmm. He says that Green owes an apology to the show's cast creative team yes. and to the AAPI community. Um, then what I actually saw first was a TikTok from cast member uh, Abraham Lim. Yes, who absolutely. Went on, yeah, he said... A lot of the same things, but he said, quote, squint inducing to describe any element of the first Korean story on Broadway with a cast made up of mostly Asians and the only wholly original new show on Broadway this season was not it. Um, there a bunch of other people commented on it from the cast and stuff, and we will have links uh, in the story that we have about this. I'm going to give not that he deserves it, but I'm going to give jesse green the benefit of the doubt and just assume for argument's sake that he did not mean this in a, a in a racist way he was not trying to um call to mind any of those racist tropes but here's the problem nonetheless even if that is true how and 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 actually abraham's uh tiktok mentions this as well you are the chief theater critic at the New York Times, the paper of record, the gray lady. Mm -hmm. How can you put those words together on a page and not be intelligent enough to understand that that's just a bad word choice for also, this show? Yeah, and also have no one edit him from there. 100%. say the same thing, which is what right, like, everyone has said. Yeah, like like – I go through this all the time, like even writing for the streamable.com, which is by no means the New York Times. If I say anything 
That, I feel like it has better editorial standards. <laughs> well, thank you very much since I'm You're the editor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like, I would never even, anything that I think could even possibly be misconstrued or at Land Grant Holy Land, we cover, I actually cover more sensitive topics there than I do with the streamable. But, you know, like I go out of my way to make sure that anything that I write or I edit doesn't even have the whiff of anything that could approach something that would mm. be offensive unless I want it to be offensive generally towards fans of the Michigan Wolverines, but that's yeah. neither here nor Intentionally there. Intentionally like, inflammatory versus yes, different racist <laughs> racist yeah yeah but i just i can't understand like h- how do you think that's okay even if you don't mean it in a racist way mm-hmm. how do you think that's okay to include in an article so i'm not gonna give jesse green i know i was just doing it for the argument i was just doing it for arguments sake. i'm not and i'm notoriously not a devil's advocate i have a bit of a rant here um so Go i just fine so i just got a chance to read the review last night wednesday night after a shorter show and you mentioned abraham's video which is on i think all social media platforms at this point i saw it on instagram i think grace had sent it to me first and then i finally got the chance to watch it on wednesday night incredibly thoughtful um so i saw the show a couple weeks ago and i'm not going to divert too much of you know my own review i I definitely had problems with it that really all stemmed to the story not feeling fleshed out. The performances, the costuming, the scenic design, stunning. Last 15, 20 minutes, probably the most thrilling performances you'll see on Broadway this year. Um, but everything kind of felt like it was done halfway, the Broadway of it, the K-pop of it, and therefore the meat in the middle. And it's a difficult transfer from what was an immersive show, and the framing device has mm-hmm. changed, and I think that's fine. Uh, but also what we've talked about in our own group chat is the Broadway audience versus the K-pop audience and the marketing that was done with the show, how that really failed it. I think, I think it targeted to Broadway audiences exclusively and failed to really address the K-pop audience side of it, which is an estimated $10 billion industry. It's fine. It doesn't need Broadway's help. Um, audience outreach is a big issue with Broadway marketing in general. It is not specific to the show. It is something that was so highly anticipated and was honestly became one of the most highlightable instances I've seen in a bit with K-pop. So you end up with this one, this milk toast marketing situation that is generally Broadway marketing and not tailored to a very, very large and enthusiastic audience. I don't think I've ever seen a more enthusiastic audience than K-pop fans. So there's this implication in the review at the end that K-pop needs to meet American audiences and specifically the Broadway audience halfway where, nah, it's actually very much the opposite. Uh, so back to Jesse Green, back to the New York Times, back to theater journalism. If you haven't read his review yet, I fully recommend not giving him the clicks. Uh, you can go to <laughs> Howard Ho, who does great music breakdowns on YouTube. He did an annotated version that he posted on social media, and we'll throw that in the show notes. Uh, it pulls out in depth the mischaracterizations, the macroaggressions, the microaggressions of it all. The last job I worked at in a newspaper, and this was in college, mind you, I wasn't an an editorial editor. (laughs) The way we were structured was, and it's certainly not the case of like the Times editorial editor, is that I wrote everything and therefore had to essentially be a short-term expert in everything from politics, which was at my time my beat, to the NHL, to Buffalo's racist-ass police force. And, you know, you write, you editorial in a day and some things that required a lot of nuance. Sometimes when I read a theater review now, I 
have war flashbacks to that job because you you get a lot of reviews where you get someone who is knowledgeable i mean questionable but let's say that at theater and the art form of theater and not necessarily a specific genre of music. It used to be a bug of mine when music publications would have people who don't, you know, cover theater specifically review cast recordings. And now it's the opposite. I don't want to read a white middle-aged man talk about K-pop and implying it's devoid of creativity or parenthetically complain about the lack of instrumentalists, which Jesse Green does in his review. I want to read someone who covers K-pop and who covers like live concert performance. Um, I certainly don't want to hear a middle-aged white man complain that a show not fucking about him does not feel connected to him or he doesn't feel connected to him or connected to it. And that's a Jesse Green issue. I know there are significantly more thoughtful critics out there that don't have to be experts in K-pop who can address the show with nuance. He is not it. And he wasn't it for Raisin in the Sun. He hasn't been it for a lot of shows. And we've had this big reckoning for anti-blackness and white supremacy in theater. We really haven't had that for anti-Asian sentiment, despite the fact that the past few years has been extreme anti-Asian sentiment and violence and, you know, campaigns like Stop AAPI Hate. Jesse Green isn't a thoughtful theater reviewer because he's both very broad of a reviewer that doesn't seem to have a grasp on like the parochial topics. He also doesn't have any awareness of the bigger picture, <laughs> which a lack of nuance um, for this show during a time where you have all this violence and sentiment and all these outcries and also just theater as a whole. How many wholly Asian stories does Broadway actually represent and how soon will the next one be if this one is panned into the ground without nuance? It's just so tiring and I can't give anyone the benefit of the doubt that doesn't understand that it is not just reviewing Broadway. It's it's a greater understanding of the connectivity of the show at large and the time that it is being mounted in and the people that it's representing. And time and time again, he fails that and certainly did with this show. I, I've made my thoughts on Jesse Green as a critic well known. I'd be quite frank with you. I don't think that there's a lot of very good critics working in in New York theater right now. I, I think that there are some that have occasionally good reviews. I think for the most part, a lot of them are either overworked or just generally lazy. And I think a lot of that goes to what you're talking about, about not doing the work. I don't think everybody has to I be- I think there are plenty. And I think those people are, they have specific beats and they end up covering those beats more often than they do theater, which is kind of what I'm talking yeah. about, of, you know, I trust like Soraya McDonald to write about shows. Yeah, I don't, she th- I, but I don't think she's, a, I don't consider her a theater critic. I think of her as a culture critic. And, but I'm talking about it's like I the people who- we need more of, as opposed Whoa, to specifically theater critics. I think that's yes. so much of the problem, like I said, is that you're expected to be an expert on everything. And because of the way that theater journalism is and the, the people that- You end up that, becoming an expert on nothing. You become an expert on nothing, but you have all these publications who are- 
white and white lead and are keen to uphold that for as long as they exist. You promote those people and expect those people to become experts on everything and all the minutiae. And instead, they're just bringing their own biases and racism into it. And it reads every time. There's no escaping it because there's clearly no growth. There are reasons that if you pay attention to the critics that I highlight in the review recap episodes, that there are certain ones that I favor more often than not, especially totally. when it comes to things like this. Speaking of which, Ain't No Mo opens on Thursday night, so I will be doing a recap episode of that. <sighs> pay attention, hopefully, if there are um, enough people of color that actually get to do reviews for it, which ones that uh, are included. Can't wait right. to read Jesse Green's review. Hopefully, he's not the one doing it, but we'll see. <sighs> Uh, okay, real quick, let's run through a, a little bit of other show and casting news. This one is I'm giddy about about this one. Yesterday, the Irish Repertory Theater announced two productions to begin its 2023 season. The first is Endgame by Samuel Beckett that will star Tony Award winner Bill Irwin and the absolute legend John Douglas Thompson. Um, the entire cast will uh, has been announced. It'll be in the show notes. The show will run January 25th through March 12th. Uh, look, do you tell me Bill Irwin and John Doug Douglas Thompson are doing Beckett together? There, and I am yeah. so unbelievably there. The next one is um, The Smuggler, which will be in their smaller studio space. They'll begin previews on January 18th and run through February 26th. Also announced yesterday um, is the producers Latinx Playwright Circle, WP Theater, and the Soul Project's off-Broadway premiere of Sancocho, a new play by Christian Eve Cato and directed by Rebecca Martinez. That will run a limited engagement from March 11th through April 9th at the WP Theater. Always love everything at WP. Mm -hmm. And then on Tuesday, actually late on Tuesday, the La Jolla Playhouse announced its 2023-2024 season featuring five world premieres. I'm just going to run through them very quickly. Um, the first one starting in June and July of 2023 will be Love All, the new play by Anna DeVere Smith and directed by that beautiful director himself, Mark Bruni, <laughs> uh, call back to earlier in the episode. Um, then we will have Is It Thursday Yet, which was uh, co-created, choreographed, and performed. <laughs> it is Thursday yet, yes. Um, co-created, um, uh, choreographed, and performed by Jen Freeman. It is co-created and directed by Sonia Taya uh, th that will run in July and August of 2023. Then there is the untitled, unauthorized Hunter S. Thompson musical with music and lyrics by Joe Iconis and book by Iconis and Gregory S. Moss directed by La Jolla Playhouse artistic director Christopher Ashley that will run in September of October and October of 2023. Then in September and October as well, a co-production with the Mayi Theater Company will be Sumo, a new play by Lisa Sanyai Dring and directed by Ralph B. Pena. And um, then the final one in 2023 will happen in November and December. It is Babbitt, a new show um, um, directed by Christopher Ashley and written by Joe DiPietro, adapted from the novel of the same name by Sinclair Lewis. This one will star Matthew Broderick. So mm -hmm. lots of lots of big names happening out in La Jolla in 2023. 
All right, real quick, some feel-good recommendations. The cast of Almost Famous was on Good Morning America yesterday. They performed Tiny Dancer. I will have a link to that. And with Danae Benton returning to the role of Cinderella in uh, Into the Woods, she did it at Encores. She's now doing it on Broadway. We have an exclusive clip of her singing on the steps of the palace. All right, long episode, lots of news, lots of uh, hashtag dialogue, and lots of other things in here. So Mm -hmm. we hope that you all enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. Please, 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 if you are a prayer, pray for no plane issues on Sunday morning. Because oh, if I have geez. to miss yeah, Man of No Importance, I'm going to be very upset. Fair enough. Fair Who enough. are you? Who are you I, and where can people find you? Who's to say? Uh, Twitter, I guess, sometimes. Instagram. But no, this is Ashley. Awesome. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. And we'll talk to you on Monday, but it'll be from New York City. Mm-hmm.